welcome again to another Bible study session. Glad to have everyone here. Let us pray. Our Father Almighty, Abba Father, we thank you for another time to worship you and learn from your word as a community, as a tribe, as your extraordinary disciples. We ask that you open the eyes of our hearts today to hear what you are saying to us at this very moment. Father, open the eyes of our faith to see that which is eternal so that we may move with a conviction that does not hold on to unbelief, even in the face of impossibilities, but that our faith becomes empowered by your word and that our faith grows in confidence that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength and that our faith is strengthened by the finished work of the cross and also in knowing that he Christ who started this work in us is faithful to complete it until the day he returns Holy Spirit I ask that you give me the tongues of the ready writer and as and you speak through me tonight you speak through me today not my words but yours Oh Father, be my, with my mouth and teach me what to say every time I speak. My Father, give me a mouth of skillful words and wisdom. Father, as I open my mouth, fill it with what I need to do your will. I declare that I become lesser and lesser and that Christ becomes greater and greater in me. Lord, we thank you. We adore you. We welcome you here in our midst. You are here already. And I pray that everyone on this platform feels your love just saturate them in this very moment glory be to your name in jesus name we have prayed amen 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 we will be starting the book of john chapter six yay <laughs> it just seems like so such a long um study of the book of john but i'm loving i'm loving the pace <laughs> so we're going to be reading john six verses 1 to 21. But before we start, let us recap from um, our last session. So the last session, we studied John 5, verses 31 to 47. And here is a summary. So number one, we don't need the witness or testimony of man to validate who we are and what God has called us to do or to be in him. God has already validated you you are validated by God. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ above all principalities and powers. Number two, as extraordinary disciples, let our motives go beyond self and lean into a higher purpose, lean into the mindset of excellence in what we do. We must, um, and then we must seek to please God. Number three, the fruits or result of our work should testify and be a witness to the fact that it was God who sent you. So extraordinary results, basically. Finally, God wants us to come deeper into him so that we can become established in him so that we can be firm in our faith. It is only from this place we are able to flow in and with God seamlessly and access all the good things he has prepared for us in advance or prepared in advance for us. Um, so that is the recap from last session. And I'm gonna jump right into the text. So if you would like to go with me to John chapter six, verses one to 21, I will be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Verse one, after this, Jesus crossed the sea of Galilee or Tiberias 
a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what a day for so many. Jesus said, have the, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men outnumbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Well, his disciples did that. Um, so also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples to, co to collect the leftovers so that not nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started to started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 21. Then they were willing to take him on board. And at the end, the boat was at the shore where they were heading. Amazing. We are so familiar with this. I mean, most of us probably know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, and I'm going to be taking it from a different point of view as I just kind of teach the, um, you know, teach the verses. So John 6. So throughout this reading, in addition to the teaching, what I will be doing is I will be drawing out leadership principles and, um, and learnings from Jesus and how he modeled leadership for us, especially servant leadership. Um, so verse one to three says, after this, Jesus crossed the sea of Galilee. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So Jesus went up to the mountain and sat there with his disciples. So basically after Jesus finished talking to the Jewish leaders, so from, verse five, from chapter five, he crossed the Sea of Galilee. Basically, Jesus crossed over to the far, far side of the sea. Sometimes you have to get away from the crowd. It says there was a huge crowd following him because of the signs he was doing. Some of us, as I said, were familiar with this story <clears throat> of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And theologians say that it was more like 20,000 people counting women and children. And in my today's lens, I'm assuming he probably had at least 1 million followers on his social media platform <laughs> because it said huge following. So 20,000 people back then converted to today's social media following. It kind of sounds like a million followers, right? In our day, will be huge. 
right? So this is just my thoughts, right? Because Moses led over 2 million Israelites. So I'm sure Jesus had the potential to pull that kind of crowd too. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to kind of paint a picture of the atmosphere, right? So sometimes we just read it and we feel like, you know, we, we, we just remove ourselves from the scenario, but sometimes it's good to just kind of look at what that scenario looks like in our today's world. I mean, Moses for me was the real MVP. <laughs> Imagine leading 2 million people. <laughs> That's probably like 20 million people in today's social media world. Amazing. Um, I just thought that was fascinating. I just, yeah, throwing that out there. You will get a huge following when people see you do things that seem impossible. So like signs and miracles, but not necessarily in you, but through you, right? This is why we can't be ordinary people. We must express the fullness of who we are and who we have been created to be. And it's not just in its mere definition, but that you do something that has never been done before. This is what a miracle literally represents, right? So as humans, we are genuinely moved by what we see, which is why marketing is such a big deal and it's such a huge sector. And this is why the crowd followed him, easy marketing. So when you flow in the fullness of your potential, people will follow you. Literally, they were chasing him. They will chase you. This also implies that people will keep following you when they see the work of your hands, when they see results. They kept following Jesus because he did miracles. When people see you do something that hasn't been done before or that you haven't done before, when your life is a miracle, when you make others' lives a miracle, people will follow you. So as leaders, our focus should be on becoming extraordinary and expressing the fullness of who God has called us to be so that we can attract that crowd following, right? It's all about influence and impact. And then it says, Jesus went up to the mountain and sat there with his disciples. He went to a secluded area with his disciples. This is such a great model for us leaders who are building a loyal circle of disciples, mentees, proteges, and team members. You must get away from the crowd with your disciples for your own sanity. Take your disciples to the mountain. Take them to a higher level of thinking, especially when they've been in the plains. They've been in the common area. They've been in the crowd. They've been mixing with the crowd for a while. We must always go and detox our mind from the crowd mentality and elevate our minds to a mountain mentality, meaning to a higher mindset, to a higher way of thinking, which basically represents connecting back with God. Philippians 4, 8 says, Think on these things that are true, that are pure, that are loyal. We must constantly do that because there's so much information out there, right? And we're literally mixing in the crowd. And so it's always good to retreat, you know, take those days off to reset your mind. We always need to get away so that we can refocus our mindset on the higher goal and tap into the higher frequency of heaven. And literally, you can, as leaders, you can also take your disciples, your team members, what, you know what I mean, to reach, to retreats or have closed door meetings, right? Just do something that represents getting away from the noise of the crowd. In verse four to six, it says, now the Passover, a Jewish festival was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, where will we buy the bread and all that? So Jesus saw the huge crowd coming. Um, and then he asked Philip if there was a place for them to buy food, basically. So we can model Jesus's um, leadership trait here by doing what he did. So Jesus looked up and noticed the crowd. 
meaning that he was sensitive to his environment. He took time from focusing on the day-to-day -day issues and the busy life, you know, that day-to-day -day life. And he looked up, literally, sometimes you just have to look up, <laughs> literally just look up. Um, and, but basically he focused his gaze on God. And as he did that, he noticed the crowd. His senses were more alert to the crowd and their needs. He knew that Passover was near and they would need food. It means it was also sensitive to the culture and the needs of the people. I believe that as leaders, we must take time to look up from our day-to-day -day and our activity-filled lives and look up to God and just look up to the sky, breathe, relax. And then you will become more sensitive to your environment. You, you can notice the crowd and you can anticipate their needs. As we move further, we see in verse 6, it says that Jesus was testing Philip when he asked him where to, where to get food to, to feed the crowd. He said Jesus was testing him. Sometimes God tests our faith. Are you sensitive to when God is testing your faith? James 1, 2 to 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various test um, trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. <clears throat> you know, I mean, they were on the mountaintop, far from everything. So that was clearly a rhetorical question. I mean, I would have been like, well, you tell me, because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to go down this mountain to look for food. I don't know how long it took me to get up there. I'm just saying, you know, like my sentiments would have been, well, Jesus, you have to figure it out since you asked that question. But of course, Jesus, as we know, the higher gang mindset hashtag crew had already figured it out. So he was just saying, he was just asking. So what he was doing was um, he wanted to see if Philip was in sync with him in thinking, right? So when Jesus asked him, he wanted Philip, wanted to see if Philip was in sync with him. He was probably asking that question to determine if Philip had, had been understanding his teachings so far. Remember, Jesus had been teaching them about the gospel of the kingdom. He had been elevating them to a higher way of thinking. And he's saying, let me see if Philip will pass this test. Again, are you able to discern teaching moments when God is looking to see if you have learned that thing that you need in that area of your life that he has been talking to you about? And by now, we know that Jesus wouldn't have asked the question unless he has the answer. I mean, he's literally the word. In Psalm 12, verse 6, it says, the, word of the, Lord are, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven time, times. God refines his words seven times before he speaks. So he doesn't just speak anyhow. He speaks carefully, refined, and intentional words. I think we can even learn that as leaders. We must speak with intentionality. <clears throat> so when God speaks to us, whether as a question or a non-question, he already knows the answer. So we must lean in, into him for that answer. The better approach Philip should have done was to ask a follow-up question. For example, I'm not sure, but do you have any suggestions? I mean, it is okay to ask God follow-up questions. He does not bite. He loves to clarify our confusion. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This means that God wants to provide you clarity. You know, he wants to provide you clarity for both the long and short term. So just ask. Keep asking. Doesn't get tired. So in verse 79, we see Philip 
answered Jesus saying, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here with five loaves and two fish. So, I mean, Philip being human, like many of us give the logical answer, the natural faith answer, right? He said, we will need at least 200 denarii and that still won't be enough. First of all, Jesus didn't ask how much. <laughs> he asked, where do we get food from? It is so funny how Philip gave Jesus a number. This is how most of us respond to God. Jesus asked, where shall we buy bread? Not how much will it cost? A lot of times God asks us or tells us to do something. And instead of answering the question he asked, we start calculating what we need. God knows what we need, the quantity and everything it involves. Jesus was just asking where will you get it from? He was directing his mind to the higher mindset. Where will you get it from? Your response to it should be the only place I will get it from is from you and say that you know where it's going to come from because Psalm 112 verses 1 to, 1 to 2 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. So where would you get it from? from the hills, from looking up to God. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So where do I get it from? From God. Basically, that's the answer. So God has to figure out whether it's 200 denarii or 5,000 denarii that he needs to do that. So we look up to the hills, we look up to Jesus, we look up to God with the help of the Holy Spirit because our help comes from him. And this is usually how many of us pray and miss, right? John 4, James 4, 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask and me. Many times we ask and miss because we are not asking the right questions or responding with faith. For example, someone is praying for a house, but deep down, we are actually praying for the money to buy the house instead of praying to God for a house. So you don't need your own money to buy a house, but that's the conversation for another day. So moving on, we see Andrew's response. His response, on the other hand, was different. He said, there's a boy here with five loaves um, of bread and two fish, but it can never be enough. Andrew had the right approach, but not enough faith in God, which is fine and which makes sense. Because humanly speaking, it is impossible to feed that kind of crowd with just five loaves and two fish. That is, that is based on fact, it is impossible. However, we know that with God, all things are possible right? But what does this tell us about our relationship with God? It's saying that Andrew's response was enough for Jesus to work with. All you need is that first step of faith, that mindset that sees what is in your hand or what is available around you and present it to Jesus as it is. Even if it is not enough, even if you feel insecure about it, even if you feel underqualified, no matter how small you feel, present it to Jesus and that's enough for him to work with. Also, did you notice how Jesus ignored Philip? <laughs> he didn't even respond to him. This shows that if you keep responding to God the way Philip did, you will never move forward. So we can see two postures of disciples right here in this Bible, in this Bible reading. One models after Philip and the other models after Andrew. And we don't want to be in the Philip model because we are extraordinary disciples 
and we're not stuck, we go from glory to glory. And we want to be like Andrew, who doesn't look at what is impossible, but six possibilities. Look at what is available around, no matter how spun it is, and presents it to Jesus for him to work with. This is the higher level mindset. This is the mindset of the kingdom that God is calling us to. Remember that Jesus is always elevating us to a higher level of thinking and paradigm. In verse 10 to 13, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down. The men outnumbered 5,000. And I'm just, can read, we can read the rest of the text. Let me go straight to my point. Then Jesus said, make them sit down. The first point here is that God is a God of order. Before he does a miracle, he sets things in order. He tells you to forgive that person, get rid of that bitterness, repent of that sin, cut off that draining relationship, basically clean house before he begins to move in your situation. Also, Jesus saw that they could sit in that area because there was grass there, right? As a leader, he considered their comfort even as he set order in their lives. God looks at your situation before he instructs you. God will never reorder your life outside the comfort of your current situation or reality. So not that God doesn't stretch us outside of our comfort zone. He always uses what we have, right, to do that. So he doesn't say get chairs. He didn't tell them to get chairs to sit on because chairs were not, it was outside of what they had. All they had was grass. So he used what they had to make them comfortable in that situation. So even if the so even the miracle itself included what they had, the bread and fish was there. They didn't have to buy anything, right? Can you see the provision and comfort around you? Also, the verse said there was plenty of grass there, which shows that Jesus, which was basically showing Jesus as our shepherd, as a servant leader. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Literally, Jesus was their shepherd in that moment. He literally led them to the still waters and to the green pastures. Remember, he crossed the seas. He found a place that had grass. He restored their soul by feeding them. Jesus knew that there was grass around that mountain. He knew that they needed restoration for their soul. Um, he knew that Passover was near and they needed to eat. He knew that they needed sustenance. This is so powerful because we can pick two things here. First thing, trust God with your life. <laughs> he is constantly leading us on the paths of righteousness for his namesake, not because of you, not because of me, not because I'm worthy, not because you're worthy, but because he has a name that he holds in high esteem, because he is worthy, because he is God and he's faithful. He knows the geographical location. He knows where provision is and he leads us there even, even, even when we don't know. Look at how unassuming the journey to the mountain was, but Jesus knew that there was grass there, that they would be comfortable out there and that he would give them food to feel settled. There is so much to unpack here, but I will not get into that today. The second point is as a leader, we see that Jesus was sensitive to the needs of the people. He knew the environment and he led them there. So as leaders, we should be sensitive to, our, to the needs of our followers and lead them to where they can get comfort, even as we want to serve them. So how does this look practically, right? If your target market has a need you can meet before offering them your product or service, figure out how to meet that need. That's just an example. In verse 11, 
it says Jesus took the meal and blessed the bread and then gave the disciples to distribute. Here we can see that Jesus partners with us to do miracles. Jesus did his part, the disciples did their part. Even the crowd did their part. It is teamwork. Sometimes the miracle requires teamwork. God's part is to touch it with the supernatural and our part is to do the physical work. This is the same story with Lazarus. Jesus told them to roll the stone away. We always have the part we play in our miracle story. I always say a miracle may look sudden, but work has been done by both parties or even several parties. God co-labors, co-partners, and co-creates with us humans. The miracle that Jesus did here is called the multiplier effect. When we put what we have in the hands of God, he multiplies it. So we see that in the multiplier effect, we have to partner with God. Many of us are looking for provision to sustain ourselves while we are still growing or before we get our big break, right? So remember, this miracle is a, was a miracle to sustain the people while Jesus taught them. And, and God is saying, give me what is in your hand and I will multiply it. Another key point is that in order for the work done in the spiritual realm to be effective in the physical, it requires order. In verse 11, it says the disciples distributed to those seated. You must be in order to experience a supernatural move of God. They had to be seated. They were not standing. I mean, I'm sure some people were standing because it said to those seated, <laughs> those seated experience the supernatural move of God. I mean, there are many lessons here for us as leaders. Your life, your business must be in order if you want God to move in it in a supernatural, extraordinary way. So you can't be someone who doesn't pay taxes. You don't follow the laws of the land or you're cheating your customers or you're lying about your sick days at work. We can't do those things and expect supernatural, supernatural move of God in our lives. Remember, God cannot be mocked. That is Galatians 6, 7. So anything that put us out of order in the sight of God, thereby giving the enemy leverage to accuse us in front of God must be completely gone out of our lives. So we must clean house if we want God to move in our lives in a supernatural and extraordinary way. Just imagine if the disciples were trying to distribute the food and everywhere was chaotic. It would have been so confusing. This is why God always reorders and cleans house when he takes over a situation in your life. Constantly cutting off relationships, shifting things around. It is because God can only do his best work in a vessel or in a life that is orderly according to, um, in, a, in alignment with him. So in verse 12 to 13, we see that there was leftover when everyone was filled. So there is always leftover with God. Why? Because as long as there are, there are available vessels, available people that you're giving to, you'll continue to enjoy the abundance of God. He will keep pouring it out until there's literally no vessel left. You see, they had 12 baskets laying around. So the food kept multiplying until the baskets were filled. This is similar to the story of Elisha and the woman with a jar of oil. The more vessels you have to distribute to other people, the more abundance will flow to you and through you. This is a key principle in the kingdom to be able to handle a great amount, great amounts of wealth, monetary wealth, and or even any other type of wealth um, in, in, for that matter. Another thing we see from this is that God will always reward the vessel or the servant that does the work diligently after everyone you are to serve is filled and you know they're satisfied. In verse 12, he says, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. 
He instructed them to gather in such a way that nothing is lost. That's diligence. God does not waste resources and he doesn't like waste. This is a great example of a servant leader model. The, the disciples were served after they fed the people. There's a book by Simon Sinek called Leaders Eat Last. Indeed, true leaders should eat last. After taking care of your people, then the leftovers are what you take. This is so countercultural. But this is the way of the kingdom. Luke 22 verse 26 said, says, Jesus said to his disciples, you will lead by a different model. The greatest one amongst you will live as one called to serve others without honor. The greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant heart. This is the model Christ is calling us to live. Servant leaders eat after you have served the people. This, mod, this model Jesus used in feeding 5,000 by the way, this is bonus, so you can thank me later, is a great model for structuring your life and your business for exponential growth. Things must be in order for exponential growth to be accelerated. So don't let us be like people who eat their reward instead of serving it first. We can see the order here. We hand what we have into the hands of Jesus so that he can bless it. We order our lives, our businesses, our careers, our relationships, whatever. He then gives us back what we've handed to him with a supernatural touch. And then he asks us to distribute it to others. And then we take what is left over. So, for example, if you have a natural gift that you can make money from, but it seems very small, in a place of prayer, you can hand that gift over to God. And then he says, okay. You need to take this course. So that's putting it in order, right? You need to learn this new skill, blah, blah, blah. You need to invest in this X, Y, Z. And then when you're done, it then says, take this strategy or add this, this thing to your gift and then use it on other people, impact their lives, bless them, and then they will pay you in return for it. So that's just an example of what that looks like in today's world. And how we can apply it basically in our lives as like professionals, entrepreneurs. A lot of times we feel like when we give what God has blessed, what God has blessed us with to other people, that we won't have enough for ourselves or that we are shortchanging ourselves. But this is the lie of the enemy. The more you give, the more you would have actually. Money likes people that spend it. <laughs> Literally. That is why rich people keep getting rich and poor people keep getting poor. You must spend money for it to find you. Anyways, that's another conversation. When God gives you something, it is never for you alone. When God gives you purpose, it is for others. When God gives you wealth, it is for others. Because it is in that very principle of giving that you are now able to become great. Just as Jesus stated in Luke 22 verse 26 that we read earlier. This is the principle of the kingdom. Don't eat your blessings. It is meant to be shared with other people. Feel others and whatever is, what is left over comes to you. There will always be leftovers. This is how it works. Now you will become a blessing to others and at, the same and at the same time, you would also be blessed. This is much better than being a blessing to just yourself, right? Because we are here for impact and influence. As Maya, um, Maya Angeli put it, have learned that people will forget what you said but people and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you make them feel. Um, as we move on to verse 14 to 15, the people saw that the sign he had done and they're like, well, this guy is a prophet. And then Jesus withdrew himself. So the crowd saw that the miracle and the saw the miracle and they were like, you know, really excited. And they said, wow, this guy must be a prophet that came to save the world. 
that must have been a really big miracle for them to draw that kind of conclusion, right? That he's the prophet that came to save the world, that came into the world. I imagine that they hadn't seen such a miracle before. And if I was there, I probably would have been surprised too. And because of this, they wanted to make him king, which makes sense, right? We humans are always moved by what we see. And as soon as someone is doing something we haven't seen before, and it's kind of great, we quickly want to crown them. I mean, even in days of social media, we see how fast people are getting, you know, celebrity status, right? So, but check this out. They didn't say that they wanted to make him king. Jesus perceived it. He could discern in his spirit and probably in the way they responded to his miracle by, by saying he was a prophet. You know, they, they talked about it. They chatted about it. So he was able to perceive that they were trying to do something. So what I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to say that perception in the spirit is key. The Holy Spirit usually speaks with the inward witness. Sometimes we just perceive something and that is valid. That is a valid way to hear from God. As leaders, we must pay attention to what people are saying. Be discerning because this helps in your decision making. The verse says that when Jesus perceived what they were thinking and how they wanted to make him king, he departed to the mountain. So why did Jesus do that? Why did he leave the mountain? Jesus left because he knew that their decision was not aligned with his purpose. He didn't come to be an earthly king. He came to die for our sins. How sad that sound sounds. He didn't come to be king on earth. So the fact that he ran away and rejected this prestigious position was because he didn't want to be distracted from his purpose. Sometimes really great things will come to you that will want to distract you from purpose, but you need to be focused on purpose and not get distracted. If it means to lay low, go do it, you know, just go retreat, do whatever you need to do so that you can stay focused. And this is what Jesus did. He went to the mountain to withdraw again. So once you're no longer, and you know how it is, once you're no longer the thing people are talking about, they forget you for that moment. So as leaders, we must stay focused on our purpose, even even if it means getting away from the noise of the crowd. The mountain represents a higher place, a place of solitude. So while today you may not be able to get to an actual mountain, Um, You can create solitude in your environment. Jesus went back to God to be alone with his father, to get his mind right and to refocus on his focus. We all need to do this from time to time in order to stay focused on purpose. Verse 16 to 19, the evening came, the disciples went down onto the bowl, they left and then, you know, there was a storm and Jesus came into their bowl. So Jesus stayed away for as long as he wanted to refresh himself. So give yourself permission to retreat for as long as you need (laughs) The disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. So we can pick two perspectives here. As as the leader, take as much time as you need to retreat. But as a disciple, do not live without Jesus. Remember, we are both a leader. We are both a leader to a group of people following us, but we are also disciples of Jesus Christ. The disciples were probably tired of being on the mountain in a place of solitude. I mean, I I get that. I mean, they were probably thinking, Jesus, (laughs) this prayer time, one hour, (laughs) one hour has reached. (laughs) My guy, Alpha, um, you know, I mean, they couldn't even stay awake in the garden for an hour. So clearly they were like, we got to go. They wanted to quickly get back to land to see what was happening. They wanted to quickly get back into their boats to go to their next destination. They wanted to see what was happening on social media or in the on news. They wanted to quickly rush into the next action item or the business idea. So they left without Jesus. <laughs> wow. Okay. 
They left without their leader. Great. When they left without Jesus, this verse emphasized that darkness had already set in. When you move without Jesus, the light of the world, we will be walking in darkness. If you want to be guided by light, make sure you don't go ahead of Jesus. If he is waiting for you on the mountain, saying, spend a few more hours praying, or whatever the instruction is, stay there with him. Because if you leave there and go on about your activity and your life without him, you will be moving in darkness, which means you will be moving with little or no clarity. You will be blind, blind sight, low sight. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? So we need, we need to be guided by the light of God. In verse 18, it says the sea level went up because a great wind was blowing. And so they, were, so they started to row their boat really fast so as to avoid the storm. These guys are pro, were professional fishermen, right? It didn't say they were scared while rowing the boat. But he said when they saw Jesus walking on water towards them, they were afraid. This, is, this was very interesting to me. They were not scared about the wind but they were scared when they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming closer to them. Sometimes we become so used to the storms in our lives, or maybe we have come to rely so much on our own expertise, our education, you know, in certain areas of our lives that we are almost like on autopilot and that we can easily conquer and just really get it done, you know, getting things done. We move crew. We're all like that. But as soon as Jesus is coming towards us in a way that disrupts what we're used to, we get scared, we get afraid, we get nervous. So they saw a man walking on sea where there was a storm, which was normal to them because they knew they knew that they had to row their boat fast. Like they were going at like four miles an hour or something. I don't know, something they're really going fast, right? So I can imagine what they were thinking when they saw someone walking on water. Sometimes the way God disrupts our regular life our regular way of thinking or the way we're used to doing things is not spectacular like the burning bush moment that Moses had. But sometimes he disrupts it in an intriguing way, which may seem odd, but both scenarios actually trigger a disruption from your regular life and your regular programming and gives you an invitation to let God into your situation. So we must be very discerning. In verse 20 to 21, he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They were willing to take, on, take him on board. And at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. So when Jesus extended the invitation to them, assuring them that it was him, at that point, they trusted him and led him on the boat. It says, then they were willing to take him on board. They were only willing to take Jesus on board after he told them not to be afraid. This sounds like most of us. We usually wait for Jesus to offer us that invitation before we can take him on board. You know, on board of our lives, on board of our relationships, our businesses, our careers and decisions that we make because we are so used to doing the work in our own way. We have become experts in our own work without Jesus. And so that invitation he offers us in that moment of disruption is so that we can walk with him and that sometimes that can make us afraid but the beautiful thing happened here, and I hope you guys picked it, or you'll pick it now as I speak. As soon as Jesus got on their boat, the boat was at the shore where they were heading. Jesus accelerated their journey to their destination. 
he accelerated their journey to destiny. But when they were rowing in their own strength at four miles, three to four miles per hour, which is pretty good work, they were struggling. But when Jesus got into their boat, they were at their destination in no time. They gained speed. Jesus adds speed to your journey to destiny. When you allow Jesus into the boat of your life, into the boat of your relationship, into the boat of your career, into the boat of your business, you don't need to do it in your own power and might and be stressed about it. Even though you are able to handle it properly, the presence of Jesus causes acceleration. It brings in an it brings in this additional effect that you can't do in your own strength. It makes you stand out from the other boats. Do you see the picture? It is indeed not by power or by might, but by the spirit of the Lord. And as I wrap up, as a leader, we can learn that we don't leave our disciples or team members for too long, especially when they're still growing or maturing. We should be sensitive to their maturity level as we take time to refresh and we should always keep an eye on them to bring them to safety. This will mean going to meet them, AKA walking on water. That means stepping higher in thinking that than they would so as to reach them and to ensure that they are safe. And as you engage them, as you engage your followers, as you engage your disciples, like so the people that are really loyal, your inner tribe, right? As you engage them, your very presence brings about that mentorship that accelerates them to their destination. And finally, as disciples, let Jesus into your boat. You don't have to do it on your own. And if you let him in, you will see acceleration and speed. And this is what makes us, this is what makes you and I an extraordinary disciple. Thank you so much for listening to that beautiful message. So to summarize, here are key points to enable us to live an extraordinary life or be extraordinary disciples. Number one, we see Jesus model servant leadership throughout this reading. Primarily, he was sensitive to the needs of the people. He ensured that he made them comfortable and served them leveraging his team, his disciples. Servant leaders should eat last. Number two, Jesus only needs us to have faith as little as a mustard seed. You don't even need crazy faith sometimes. Just mustard seed faith is enough. What you have in your hand, no matter how small it seems to you, is enough for Jesus to work with and trust him to multiply it. Number three, you can trust God with your life. He is constantly leading us on the paths of righteousness. Though that means is that the paths of alignment to our purpose and our destiny for his name's sake, even when we, when we don't know or we're not fully aware of it. So just trust him in the process of your life and of your journey. Number four, We must stay focused on our purpose, even if it means getting away from the noise of the crowd. As a disciple, do not live without Jesus. If you want to be guided by light, if you need clarity, make sure you don't go ahead of the light that guides you. And in our case, this is the word of God. Finally, you don't want to do life on your own. You don't want to do your nine to five on your own. You don't want to run that business on your own. You don't want to manage that relationship on your own. Invite Jesus into the boat of your life. Invite Jesus into that situation and he will accelerate your journey to your destination. He would accelerate your journey to destiny. So Father Lord, we thank you. Thank you for a good time in your presence tonight. 
Holy Spirit, we thank you for another time to fellowship with you, to learn from your word, from Jesus, our lead disciple, our role model and mentor. We just want to say thank you for just such a beautiful time um, tonight. Lord, we ask that your word, your instructions will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, providing us clarity both in the long term and in the short term. I declare that we will lift up our eyes to the hills. We will lift up our eyes to God. We will, because this is where our help comes from. Our help comes from you, oh God. We do not have anyone else. We have no one but you. We look up to you, our Father who made heaven and earth. Everything belongs to you. Everything in heaven and earth belongs to you and available to us to use. So today, Lord, we fix our eyes on you as the author and finisher of our faith, as the author and finisher of our journey, as the author and finisher of our provision, as the author and finisher of our purpose, as the author and finisher of our destiny. Thank you, Lord, for sending help from your sanctuary and support from Zion on everyone here tonight that has a pressing need. Father, Lord, I declare that, Lord, you will locate them with the needs, oh God. That, Lord, they will look, you will make them sensitive to your provision. We lean into the provisions that you have made available to us. Lord, open our eyes to see. I ask that you open our eyes to see. You open the eyes of our hearts, the very center and the core of our being, that it will be flooded with your light, the light of God by the Holy Ghost, so that we'll be able to see the provision. We'll be able to see daily bread. We'll be able to see daily benefits. We'll be able to see supernatural provision that you have made available to us within us and around us that lord we would see provision because you said you were sending help from your sanctuary and support from zion i declare that anyone that is seeking help in any area of their life whether it's in school or it's in a place of work or in, or a business area or even if it's just I just need to bounce off an idea with someone that Lord, you will send them the right people in the name of Jesus. I declare that we are not ones who pray and miss or we ask and miss, but we will pray according to the will of God, our Father, our shepherd, our friend, Jesus Christ. Lead us into green pastures that you have for us. Lead us beside the still waters and the quiet waters. Refresh and restore our soul this week. Refresh and restore our soul daily. Lavish us in your abundant provision. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, not because we are worthy, not because you are worthy, but because your name, Jesus Christ, is higher and greater than any other name in, in heaven and on earth, Lord. We commit what is in our hands to you, and I ask that as we do, let your touch, supernatural touch, your mightest touch produce in it a multiplier effect miracle. Multiply our efforts. Where we put one, we will get a hundredfold. I declare, I declare when we put 10, we will get a thousandfold return. Father Lord, multiply our efforts exponentially. I declare that we will not labor in vain. Every seed, every effort, every sweat, every work, every labor will yield results in 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold in the name of Jesus. Lord, order our lives according to the blueprints of heaven that you have ordained for our lives. Just as Moses built to pattern the temple, build the temple of our lives to your pattern, to kingdom pattern. I declare over everyone hearing my voice that our lives will resonate with your kingdom model. God, make us conduits of your blessings to other people. I declare that we will not be reservoirs but will be rivers vessels that the rivers of living waters can flow freely in and, and through anything blocking the free flow of the spirit in us i command a be open in the name of jesus i say a 
be opened in the name of Jesus. I declare that the channels of our spirit be opened up today into new levels, into new dimensions, into new streams, into new expression, and into new provision. I declare that, Lord, you will supply the needs of everyone, oh God, listening to, to my voice tonight. According to your riches in glory, they will not lack. They will not be ashamed in Jesus' name. They will not lack. They will not be ashamed. They will not be put to shame. They are your children and they are serving you. And Lord, you will meet them at the point of their needs. And Lord, help us to be great steward of your resources, the ones that you've placed in our hands. I declare that we'll be good and faithful servants. Nothing will be lost. Nothing will be wasted or missing, including the people that you have called us to serve. Lord, make us servant into servant leaders. Give us the hard posture of a servant. Give us wisdom to lead those you have called us to serve, both our disciples, our loyal followers, and the crowd, the general followers. Lord, help us to be able to discern you and our seasons of testing and give us a spirit that is sensitive to your spirit. Give us a spirit that is in sync with your spirit. Spirit. Lord, I ask that you come into the boats of our lives and accelerate us to destiny, accelerate us to purpose. We receive your invitation with open arms. In fact, we don't need an we don't need an invite. We are calling you to come, come, come to us right now in our desperate moment of need and step into the boats of our lives and let us do life with you, Lord. Lord, we want to do life with you. Help us, lead us, and empower us for this journey by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the prayers. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for the prayers. And for the lives of everyone here, I speak restoration over your life. I declare that every area that needs restoration, receive the breath of God in the name of Jesus. Receive the life of Yahweh in the name of Jesus. I speak to you. Open up. Oh, Jesus. I declare Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I declare life upon every dead situation in your life. Every Anything that is dead, anything that is stagnant, any relationship that is stagnant, I declare that the breath of God begins to give it new life. Any relationship that needs to be cut off, that the Lord will cut off and it will rekindle and it will start. Oh, hallelujah. I see a seed. Thank you, Lord, because you are planting seeds of relationship. You are planting seeds of destiny. Thank you, Lord, for this seed, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for your melody. Yes. <laughs> yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the seeds that you are planting in the hearts and the lives of these people. You know the seeds that they need. And Lord, I decree and I declare that the Lord Almighty will plant the right seeds into your heart. He will impregnate you with his seed and he will pour his rain, his melodies from heaven and showers of blessing upon that seed, oh God, supernaturally grown. Ah, thank you, Jesus. And he will birth forth destiny through you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' mighty beautiful precious name we have prayed amen 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 thank you for listening to today's session i hope you were blessed i trust you were don't forget to invite your friends to the sessions or get them to sign up to receive our daily prayers and to get access to the bi-weekly bible study session the link is in the bio see you next time Ciao!